The spirit of performance is what defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crow portrays an ex-homicide detective, unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. Hello and welcome to Baseball Barbacast, the only baseball podcast in the world that won't be playing catcher for the foreseeable future. I'm Jake Mintz. That's Jordan Schusterman. We'll take the five years and $87 million, but we're going to DH. That sounds fine to me. Uh, I've spent a lot of time on this podcast and in regular conversation talking about how much catching just seems to suck. Seems like a a terrible time. And so if you're just going to tell me, hey, Jordan, you don't have to worry about that for, for the foreseeable future. I am loving life. Yes, indeed. That will, of course, be our first topic of this Monday episode of Baseball Barbicast, the Wilson Contreras saga. The Cardinals season spiraling out of control. This could have been even more dire had they gotten swept by the Tigers yesterday, as we joked on Friday that they might. But they have stopped their losing streak but they have not stopped the drama. So we're going to spend the first half of this show talking about Wilson Contreras, the DH, and then in the second half, we'll hit to all the the most interesting stories from the weekend, uh, which we only had one sweep. Shouts out to the Blue Jays. Bouncing back from the mop with the sweep. We love to see that. Uh, but we got to talk about Wilson because this is one of the weirder, what are the weirder baseball personnel, management, public, um, uh, you know, PR stories that I think we've had in, in quite some time. So let's give you the bird's eye view for people who maybe aren't checking in with the Cardinals every day. Wilson Contreras, who spent the last six years with the Chicago Cubs as a good hitting catcher with legitimate defensive question marks across the game, gets signed by the Cardinals in the offseason to replace Yadier Molina for five years and $87 million. And at the time, the Cardinals say all the right things about how excited they are for Wilson Contreras to follow in the footsteps of one of the most respected catchers of the 21st century in all of baseball history, okay? He doesn't do the World Baseball Classic so that he can adjust to his new pitching staff, the new environment, you know? And Venezuela probably could have used him. That would have been maybe important. Uh, And then what happens next? The Cardinals freaking stink. They continue to stink. They are currently, what, 11 and 24? 24? They have the worst record in the National League. Their pitching staff, as we have acknowledged many times this season, is poor, to say the least. It is not the only thing wrong with their team. Nolan Arenado has turned into a pumpkin uh, entirely. But that is the first one of the first things you would say about them. And as many people have pointed out, Katie Wu, who we will acknowledge many times during this conversation, has pointed out they have given up a league-leading 21 home runs with two strikes. 
They also have just been to the general worst pitching team with two strikes. Now, this is one of those things that when you're the worst pitching team, you will probably also be the one of the worst pitching teams with two strikes. It's not just a split situation, but that is something that has become kind of the ultimate culprit, the ultimate moment uh, along this, this streak of losing for the St. Louis Cardinals that many people have acknowledged. And so over the weekend, the Cardinals announced that Wilson Contreras, their prized offseason acquisition, in fact, they're really their only offseason acquisition. Only thing they did this winter. Literally, that was it. They say that he is not going to play catcher for the foreseeable future and will remain or and will spend the majority of his time as a designated hitter. They briefly flirted the idea of him in the outfield and then seemed to remember that they have 85 outfielders. So he will be designated hitting, but he will kind of like remain a catcher as far as practicing and being in pregame meetings, et cetera, et cetera. And so this is a very notable situation. And the reason that we're going to talk about it for the first half of the show, one of the most, and I'm going to put this in in quotes, respected organizations in baseball with the some of the best track record of success over the last decade under current leadership groups, right? Has it seems like they have completely bungled a situation. This team sucks, and they don't suck just because of Wilson Contreras, but they have sucked enough. And they have sucked enough so quickly that they have felt it necessary to take an $87 million free agent following in the footsteps of one of the greatest catchers defensively in the history of baseball. And they have already moved him off the position right now. That is wild. This is a wild swing and miss. Yeah. So, Jordan, where would you like to begin? Well, I think the first thing you could say is, well, the Cardinals are not used to being 13 games under 500, right? And so... While we're going to get into how legitimate it is to pin an enormous percentage of this on the player you just signed for $87 million and why that is both problematic and also maybe understandable, what my biggest takeaway is like they're panicking because they don't, they've never been in this, they haven't been in this situation in a long time, right? And so they feel like they have to do something. And for them, they have decided it is easiest for us to take Wilson Contreras out from behind the plate, then get 15 new pitchers, which would be another thing <laughs> that they probably could have and should have done before this season. Obviously, that's an exaggeration, but you see what I'm saying, right? They are looking at this and they're saying, we need to change something. This is not working. Something is not working. And they have decided this is the thing that can maybe turn the season around. What that tells me is that this is what they have identified as the top reason. And so when Ali Marmol, the manager, is asked and says, do you think this is this is why you've been losing games? And he says, I want to be clear. Wilson Gutierrez catching is not why we've been losing games. Well, then, <laughs> then I have a hard time understanding and believing that this is what you think is the first move you have to make. Those actions, Jordan, they tend to speak louder than those words. And so Ali Marmol, I understand that he's trying to defend his player here. But the fact of the matter is, he's not catching. Okay? And so you recognize that as an issue that needs to be fixed. And that is very interesting. And I now want to talk about why this is happening and what it means to be a catcher in the year 2023. Okay? When you are a catcher in modern baseball, you are not a hitter. You happen to get a couple of at-bats every day. And you can be very good at hitting. You can be very bad at hitting. 
you know, we have Mike Zunino, who is bad at hitting anything but home runs. And we have JT Real Muto in the sport, who is usually very good at hitting, and Adley Rushman. But teams, a lot of teams, don't really care about how much offensive production they get from the catching position. And that is because being a catcher is its own unique thing. And that is because the grind of being a catcher, you have to be in the pitcher meetings and the hitter meetings. You need to prepare for the opposing hitters and the opposing pitchers. Not to mention the fact that your legs hurt every single day of your freaking life. And all of that together is why offense for catchers is so much lower than the average position. And the amount of preparation necessary to succeed as a catcher nowadays is enormous. There are teams, like I talking to the Braves, right? Something when you ask the Braves about Sean Murphy, when they traded for Sean Murphy over the offseason and why they kept Travis Darno is the, the, the quote, we value the position. Valuing the position. The idea that having a solid defensive catcher who can do the soft skills and the hard skills at the same time, they can block, throw, frame, handle a staff, call a game, prepare for a game, okay? That is really valuable to certain organizations. And it was really valuable to the Cardinals, but in a very different way. Because the Cardinals, for the last 20 years, didn't have to think about the position at all because Yadier Molina woke up every day, drove to Bush Stadium, and did the whole damn thing himself. And so there, it doesn't seem to me as if there was an apparatus in place, like systems in place, that allowed people to prepare for the game on their own without the presence of Yadi Molina. And that is what the Cardinals are reckoning with now in real time. Which is the great irony of this whole saga. Because for years, Cardinals, the Cardinals themselves, the team, and their fans have been screaming how important that Yadi Molina was. And yet, as soon as he was gone, they were just like, well, surely someone else can just do that too, right? Like, that's fine. <laughs> and, then, and then just five weeks into the season, they're like, wait a minute. Yachty huh. was really good at this. Interesting. Hmm, okay. And I feel like he has been validated somewhat, right? There's a whole conversation about Yachty Molina. He's like a 30 career wins above a place in player. Is he a Hall of Famer? And I feel better about his career and his legacy right now on May 8th than I did two months ago before we saw someone try and fill his shoes. I agree. And I, I I don't want to go too far in either direction because another part of this is Wilson Contreras because Wilson Contreras' actual reputation as a catcher, as Ken Rosenthal wrote today, but also as if you talk to anyone before the Cardinals signed him and during his time with the Cubs, like Wilson Contreras does care. I do believe he is a hard worker, but the thing is it doesn't matter because there's a difference. It's not that he doesn't want to replace Yadi Molina. He doesn't want to be good at this, but as you just said, sometimes it's not even about effort level. It's that it's just really freaking hard. It's really, really, really hard. And some players are going to be better at it than others. And so no matter what him, how many of the right things he said before they signed him, the right things he said after they signed him, the right things he's saying now when his new organization is saying, sorry, dude, you are not good enough for us. You're going to have to go DH and complicate everything and keep saying the right things. Like that sucks for him, right? That is not something because of course he believes he's a catcher. And to some degree, he he is a he's, he's a major league quality catcher. That's sure. But he's not a yachty quality catcher. And that's the team he happened to sign with. And now you have the situation where Wilson Contreras is stuck 
being kind of disowned by his own team without any opportunity to go anywhere else. Now the pressure is on him to also, by the way, just rake at DH on all the times that they're playing him at DH. And he's hit a little bit better recently, which is nice. But we know what kind of positional mess it's going to make for them now. Forget the outfield, but now with Nolan Gorman, their best hitter. So it's it sucks for him. I really do feel bad for him because I don't get the sense. No one is saying Wilson Contreras is not trying. They're saying it's not. he's not figuring it out fast enough. And that is just a, a really weird and sticky situation. It, it, that's what makes it so complicated, right? Is that he's not like being lazy and he's not not taking it no, seriously. It's, just it's like the way I think about it, Jordan, is, is is learning math. Math is hard. I was never good at math. I tried to be good at math in school, but I couldn't do math. I can't code. You know, I, I just was not a math guy. And no matter how hard I tried, it didn't come easy to me. And so I didn't make it my career. Unfortunately for Wilson Contreras, this is playing catcher is kind of his career. Right. The quote from GM John Mazeliak is very interesting where he says, quote, it's going to take a little time to get him to where we feel he understands the expectations of what this role is for us. The expectations is the key word there for me. That makes it sound like preparation, but it also makes it sound like They have an understanding, like a set level of expectations for what it means to be a catcher on the Cardinals. But there is no one in baseball who is going to get to that level because you've only watched Yadi Molina do this for the last 20 years, except for when he spent a weekend in Puerto Rico with his basketball team. But this is this is my point. That quote, it's going to take a little time to get him to where we feel he understands the expectations of what this role is for us. To me, it feels like you didn't understand what your expectations were for what this role was because, as Jake said, you didn't have to. And so, the, the, of course, they, it feels like I'm sure they thought in spring training before they sign him, after they sign him, when they're meeting with him every day, and he is putting in the work, that they did think they were on the same page. But you don't know until you until you try it. And Johnny Mo said that too, right? He said, once the game started, we were like, oh, shit. <laughs> this is a little bit more complicated than spring training. You picked this guy, buddy. Yeah. It, it wasn't like... It, you, he was assigned to you by Rob Manfred. It wasn't like, you know, he, he was placed on your roster and you had to just deal with him. You did a search and did interviews and ended up in a place where you picked this guy and now you have egg on your face. Yeah, but this is the other thing, right? There's all kinds of, of versions this could have gone. They could have not signed a catcher. They could have signed a pitcher. They could have signed someone else and they could have just rolled with Andrew Kisner batting ninth and catching from the beginning of the season. Would they be in last place now? I don't know. I mean, I'm looking at this pitching staff and I'm not saying like, oh, if only they still had Yachty, they would be in first like they are. (laughs) This is not a good group. And if you're going to pin that entirely on the nuances of Wilson Contreras' game preparation and game calling, that seems pretty extreme. Now, do I believe that it has something to do with it? Yes. Yes, I do. But that's the part that's difficult for me is they are choosing to pin it on him when we all of there's a lot of other problems with this team, and this is just a hell of a way to uh, to kind of d- distract the other uh, from the other issues with the roster, with the pitching staff talent but level, and, not, uh, and other places. See, I somewhat disagree. Like, distract is not the right word to me. Like, the way I'm thinking about it, they built a pitching staff on soft tossers who throw 89 to 92 miles an hour, guys who pitch on a tightrope who live on the edge 
and who need to be perfect with their location and their sequencing and all the soft stuff in order to make their soft stuff work and turn into outs. And Melina was this conductor who was able to somehow put the pieces into place enough to make it work. And the second that you took him out of the situation, all you had was a bunch of guys who throw 90 miles an hour and no one to coordinate the show. And that is what we are seeing here. Now, the Cardinals organization needed to know this. They knew that they – it wasn't like Molina left and somehow suddenly they got like nine Jacob DeGroms showing up. Like these guys were there. And so for me, that is their fault, that an inability to recognize the importance of the position beyond Yadier Molina. This – his departure was coming. He announced it ahead of time. It was inevitable. Maybe there's a scenario where you go to Yachty, you're like, hey, we'll pay you $7 million to play for the first month of next season so you can onboard Wilson Contreras. We'll have a day for you, okay, at the end of May or middle of May where we say goodbye and you go off into the sunset. Or you could be on the coaching staff for the first couple months. Like the idea that they didn't think beyond signing the best catcher on the free agent market is completely irrational to me. I agree with you. The central well, it's, not, sorry, with it's you. not just irrational, it's hubris. It's like, yes, yes. oh, we must know the things that are happening. Yeah, but this is the other thing. I'm with you. Like, I I, I mean, it's funny to be like, oh, yeah, I just come back. You can't, he can't teach this. It's not, like, th- this is the thing. These are soft skills. These are in-game decisions. These are pitch-by-pitch adjustments that Wilson Contreras, you could learn to be better at it. But there's no amount of time that Yadi Molina is going to spend with Wilson Contreras and he's going to be like, oh, okay, now I'm you. It's not happening. There's no version of that. Yeah, but there's an extent that, like, they're giving the keys to Andrew Knizner, who has spent the last four seasons learning from Yadi Molina. Yeah, and that's no, part of, of the reason they feel comfortable putting him behind the plate. Right. That's true. I guess the, the, the thing is, it's like some people are looking at, like, well, what's wrong with Wilson Contreras' defense? His blocking's fine. His, he throws great, of course. His framing's solid. Like, Again, it's these tiny, th- it's so much during a game and trust. I think that's another thing that you've seen a word thrown around a lot is trust. Now, part of me thinks, okay, how much were you guys really throwing to Andrew Kisner over the last few years, especially some of the recent guys compared to Yachty, but, but it's more, right? He's around, he's been around multiple spring trainings, right? But let's, let's, this is also a good time to spin this forward, right? Wait, one, one more thing. Go ahead. Do you think there's an extent to this where like the pit, I would imagine that the pitchers went to totally. some coach and said, we need to throw to Knizner instead. That definitely happened. Like, we don't want to throw some to Kinesner anymore. I, I, I agree. I believe that some of that is legitimate. And I believe that some of that is projection that these pitchers have sucked and are not willing to take full responsibility for it mm-hmm. and are potentially making some excuses. Not like all the way. Again, like there's clearly an issue here with Contreras defensively. Like, I'm not saying that. But like... For the pitchers to go and be like, well, you know, this is going to really help us out. It's like, well, why don't you pitch better? Okay, well, this is a good way to spin it forward. And we'll get back to Wilson Contreras in specific in a second. But okay, great. They've made the decision. He will not catch for the foreseeable future. Okay, so now what happens? Well, as I just mentioned before, now you have your uh, fancy franchise catcher is DHing all the time. So that creates all kinds of log jams within the lineup, whatever. I'm not even going to talk about that. Let's just say they put Kisner behind the plate. And voila, the pitching is suddenly converting every ground ball turns into an out and every, uh, you know, deep fly ball actually stays in the yard and all their strikeouts per nine tick up 
you know, by, by, by one and all right. Oh, now Cardinals are climbing back in it and the rest of the NL central and they climb their way back to 500. Okay. Kisner's an all-star. Kisner's an all-star. Now what? Now what? Okay. This worked amazingly, right? Wow. Kisner's is, he is Yachty 2.0. This is incredible. And the, the rest of the team is clicking. The rest of the team is clicking, right? Because that's the situation. Now it's like, all right, are we done with Wilson Contreras as a catcher? Because what I'm saying now is what has to happen to get Wilson Contreras back behind the plate? Sure, Johnny Moe says, oh, he just has to learn how to prepare, blah, 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 blah. Okay, say that happens in three weeks. Say the Cardinals are still way out of it, right? Are we putting him back if they keep struggling? Are we going to, you know, nix it again? Like, I'm, I'm trying to understand what we are hoping to have happen now and how that will impact what happens moving forward with him. Because it's not as if he just started catching. That's the other thing here. It's not like they just converted him. This man has been a big league catcher for eight years. If you don't have it figured out by now, I don't understand what the Cardinals are going to do for him in the next month where they feel comfortable putting him back there a month from now. You know what I would do? I would send him on a vacation for two weeks with a PS4 and a copy of MLB The Show. And I would say, I need need you to play online for like 10 hours a day and learn how to sequence pitches. (laughs) This is the thing. But no, this is what I was just saying. Like, there's no version of it where they're going to prepare him uh, immediately. Not to mention, again, like, say he isn't hitting. Now you have made him this catcher DH who's not hitting that everyone is going to despise. And this is where it gets to just the part where I just feel bad for him because now you have a situation where, of course, how about, listen, he's making plenty of money. He's a big league hitter. He'll be fine, right? But for someone who has not done anything wrong, like he's just been put in this very uncomfortable situation, which brings us to this week where the Cardinals are going to Wrigley Field, where Wilson Gutierrez already has now this strange this strange reputation among fans. And I think it's probably a little bit magnified online where people have been making fun of him because now he's on the team that's in last place while the Cubs are trending in the right direction. And when he signed with the Cardinals and he's saying stuff like, oh, the Cardinals are a great organization, blah, blah, blah. To me, that was him pandering to the Cardinals more than shitting on the Cubs. But maybe I'm being too generous with that. But the point is now he goes to to Chicago. The Cardinals are a joke. He's DHing. And it's just it's just unfortunate. I, I I think there are still some fans that I'm sure still appreciate and love Wilson Contreras. Uh, I don't think he's going to get booed relentlessly, but maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm maybe I'm uh, overestimating Cubs fans in that sense. But it, the, all of the, the whole sequence is just just a tough stretch uh, for Wilson. I really have nothing else to say. Do you have anything uh, else to say? Uh, one more thing on the Cubs. Did you sure. see the quotes yesterday on Miguel Amaya? <laughs> no. <laughs> okay. Well, I just thought it was funny that Miguel Amaya, who just came up last week, came up and he's caught and he's he's had some hits and he's looked good. He's a rookie catching prospect. He had a lot of injuries. He finally made it up. And this weekend, uh, he caught a, a couple times and he caught Hayden Wesneski. And there were all these quotes from these Cubs pitchers being like, this guy is a savant behind the plate. <laughs> And I'm like, this is this is incredible timing, and there's no way this is on purpose. But it was just very, very uh, like literally. I'm scrolling on Twitter, and I'm seeing Wilson Contreras, and then I see, oh, the Cubs think that their next young catcher is like a defensive wizard. That's Mm. funny. Um, And the other part about that that it made me think about is last year's trade deadline. Right? We talked so much about the Astros. Oh, why didn't they trade for Wilson Contreras? (laughs) <laughs> and, uh, you know, that one's looking uh, pretty good as well. These Miguel Amaya quotes are actually great to understand the Contreras situation. So I, I just want to read them. 
This is from Hayden Wisniewski, who's pitching. I was very surprised how prepared he is. It's incredible. I'll even say the first inning or two, it was like, he's a young guy. I'm not sure what I'm going to get when, you, when he calls a game. And so I kind of started second-guessing him and second-guessing myself, and I came in the dugout, and I realized, you know what? I'm trusting you. You have called the right pitches so far, and I've been really hard-headed about it. And so in the third inning, I started trusting him, and you see where that got us. I'm telling you right now, he's very prepared. He's very mature. And I'm impressed with his game calling because that's the one thing that's really tough when you're moving up the ranks. It's not necessarily the framing and the blocking. He's playing the game. It actually blew my mind today. I tried to be overly prepared today, thinking that I didn't know how prepared he was going to be. And dude, he was more prepared than I was. Pitchers love this shit. They love this shit. It's so vital for pitchers to feel comfortable on the mound. Yeah. And that's why you hear about personal catchers, right? That's why you hear about like, it's all these things that we really can't quantify. Like, honestly, like we can, I know there's been some research done into pitch competition, but we, we can't hear the pitch. We don't know exactly when a guy is shaking off what pitch. Like this is the most, arguably the most important part of baseball that the, you truly cannot fully understand by watching the game. And it is so, so, so important. And so those are the internal battles that are clearly happening at St. Louis. And that is why Wilson Contreras is now a very expensive DH. Uh, all right, we did it. We talked about Wilson Contreras. I'm fascinated to see what happens next. Most importantly, the Cardinals are still very bad. They just lost another series to the Tigers uh, in embarrassing fashion. And um, they have a lot more to fix than just their catching situation. All right, we're going to take a quick break. And when we return, we will talk about some non-Cardinals things, which I'm sure many of you are very excited about. Hey, everybody, I'm James Hinchcliffe. And I'm Alexander Rossi, and we're the hosts of Off Track with Hinch and Rossi. The biggest race on the IndyCar calendar, the Indianapolis 500, is right around the corner, which means the much-anticipated docuseries 100 Days to Indy has begun. Each Thursday, right after new episodes of the show drop on The CW, we'll be dropping our own reaction podcast on the Off Track feed as we break down everything that we saw in the episode and talk about which one of our friends are really putting it on for the camera. Listen to Off Track now on Stitcher, Apple, or wherever you get your podcasts. And welcome back to Baseball Barbacast. I'm Jake Mitz. That's Jordan Schusterman. Let's run through the weekend that was kind of an odd one. No opportunities this weekend. That's okay. The life, you know, the world moves forward. It continues to spin. One sweep. One sweep. Just one. Do you hear, do you hear that sound, Jordan? That yeah, what, thud? What, what is that? What is do that? you hear that thud? Do you hear that kerplop? That is the pirates falling back down to earth. They are now on an L7 after the Toronto Blue Jays strolled into PNC Park and just pulled their pants down. Yeah, it was it was a it was an ass kicking. The kind of ass kicking we would have projected at the start of the season if we looked at that early May series between Pittsburgh and Toronto. And in miraculous uh, fashion, the Pittsburgh Pirates on an L7 and still in first place on the morning of May 8th. What a weird 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 season. Beyond that, it was just series wins. Good old twos out of threes. Rays over the Yankees. Tampa taking game one. Yankees taking game two. The Yankees up big with Garrett Cole on the mound. Oof. What more could you want? Garrett Cole on the mound with a 6 nothing lead? No problem. Oh, oops, just kidding. The Rays are the best team in baseball. They come back. Garrett Cole allows his first home runs of the season, and the Rays ultimately walk it off. As we predicted, Jordan, 
Jose Siri and Christian Betancourt, the first two guys to get Garrett Cole over the fence this year. I'm glad it was them because those were the two that when we were talking about the Rays last week, you're like, oh, it's Christian Bethancourt and Jose Siri. I mean, come on now. <laughs> it's like, bam. <laughs> so yeah, the Rays are amazing. I don't know what more you need to see. Anyway, Yankees fans. I mean, Yankees just still injured. It sounds like Judge will be back this week. So I guess that's good. Good to see Carlos in the dugout hanging out. You know, he's rehabbing in Tampa. We haven't really talked about this. We should probably mention it. Carlos has has some sort of chronic back issue. We have no more information than anyone else does. If we did, we probably wouldn't tell you, but uh, we're bummed. Like, it sucks. Like, it just sucks. It sucks. It's extremely shitty. And like I said, I mean, it's part of this huge wave of uh, Yankees injuries, but it is really disappointing and obviously a huge deal. So hopefully he's back soon. And it's just a reminder, you know, four months ago, every Yankees fan was like, we need to get Rodon. Oh, Hal Steinbrenner paid for Rodon. We're going to win. And then, like, he hurts his back and it's like, oh, he's a bum. He's overpaid. Hey, come on. Come on. Yeah, uh, that's, Ra- that's how that's how fandom works. <laughs> oh, right. Thanks, Jordan. I appreciate the reminder. Rangers taking two out of three over the Angels. The Angels winning a weird one on Friday night. The Rangers following that up with two wins. Did this series help you believe that the Rangers are definitively better than Anaheim? Yeah. I mean, I sort of believe that. They had already kind of convinced me of that through the first month with the Rangers being in first place. But the Rangers, as we've seen in the last week or so, have serious bullpen problems. And with that complete implosion on Friday night, another reminder of that. But on the whole, especially offensively, just way deeper. And I do think that that some of the rest of their starting pitching, you know, Evaldi's just been awesome. Uh, way more impressive. So the Angels are fine, but I think the Rangers are a legitimate postseason contender. Guardians over the Twins. Most notable thing from this series, Stephen Kwan goes long gone. He got one over the fence. Friend of the show, Stephen Kwan. Yeah. The powerless outfielder for the Cleveland Guardians. Not powerless anymore, baby. Yeah. Huge clutch homer, right? Tie game. Yeah. Taking it deep in the seventh. He blasted it. He it was it was it was cranked uh, right right out to center field. I was gonna have to ask him why he hadn't homered yet this Friday, but he managed to to dodge it. So a couple couple guys getting on the board for the first. We got Rendon homered for the Tyler Stevenson, Elvis Andrews, some guys getting their first homers this weekend. Mazel tov to them. Mariners over the Astros two out of three after losing in the City Connect pajamas on Friday night. The Mariners come back with wins on Saturday and Sunday. What were your thoughts from this series, Jordan? I mean, Bryce Miller, man. Bryce Miller, listen, he does it against the A's. It's like, okay, let's see how he does it against the Astros. And it was the same thing. He threw like 70% fastballs and Jordan Alvarez was like, what the fuck was that? Uh, which was pretty cool. So he was great. Uh, Julio finally hit a massive home run and the Mariners won the series. They are, they are now back to 500 and, and tied with Houston. So both those teams, of course, trying to chase down the Angels and Rangers, just as we all expected. A's... First series win of the year, I believe. And yep. all they needed to do it was to play the Royals. They should just do that every week. Not just their first series win. First time they had won two games in a row all season, winning on Friday and Saturday. And yeah, all it took was playing the second worst team in the league. So we'll see when their next series victory comes. But on the road, Brent Rooker still raking. Uh, we'd love to see it. Happy, happy for the A's. Cubs over the Marlins, but they lose the Sunday game in 14 innings. 
What year is it? It's great to see that that can still happen, that we can still have an endless baseball game on a beautiful Sunday afternoon. Play forever. What pitch clock? Baseball is a timeless sport. They did. They got to the the second uh, seven-inning stretch, which people were very excited about, very drunk on Sunday afternoon at Wrigley Field to kind of cure their their uh, pain from watching the Cubs offense, particularly recently. Marlins moving to 11-0 and in one-run games. They have a, I believe, a minus 56 run differential, but sit tied with the Mets in second place in the NL East. Skip Schumacher, ladies and gentlemen. Maybe the Cardinals should have him be their catcher. The Giants taking two out of three over the Brewers, including... What, like the first home run Devin Williams has given up since the Jimmy Carter administration? Yeah, yeah. No, there was a, a crazy statistic that I believe the last two home runs, maybe by a right-handed hitter, that uh, that Devin Williams has allowed have both been to Tyro Estrada, which seems completely impossible. But Tyro Estrada is awesome. Giants, uh, they're back. We, we never got to talk about the Giants having the shits from Mexico City. That was uh, some great quotes from from Logan Webb there. But the Giants are super weird. That is, I do not know what to make of them whatsoever. Uh, but they 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 can hit homers. That's for sure. I appreciated Logan Webb's comment. Because it does make sense. Like sometimes your office, everyone is sick and not doing well. And that's why you're being less productive. And like if 75% of a baseball team has the shits, like they're going to play worse. Right. That's not rocket science. I guess it's just gastrointestinal science. Moving forward, the Rockies taking two out of three over the Mets in in City Field. Oh, my God. Mets con. Mets con? I, yeah, good point. We might have to to roll roll into some some Metscon here soon. Yeah, I don't know how much you've you've watched of of the Mets. Um, they're they're coming to Cincinnati. I'm not sure if I'm going to make it to those games, but uh, they're just a weird watch. Their offense, but like to me, you're giving up those. If you're giving up runs to the Rockies on the road, I'm looking at the pitching. I, I it's going to be hard for me to focus on the offense if you're giving up a, a lot of runs to the Rockies on the road. Lucchese, Yakabonis, Tommy Hunter, Jeff Brigham, Dominic yeah. Leone combined to give up 13 earned runs on 14 hits on the Sunday game against Colorado. Certainly less than ideal. And and the Friday game was a one nothing win. So like it's not like they're like it was just a really, really bad showing for the Mets. So they're lucky some other teams are more of a circus. Diamondbacks over the Nationals, but Joey Menes is heating up. Good to Here. see. Yeah, go ahead. Well, I mean, did you watch the, the ends of these games? This was this incredible, like, band bullpen, band team, but, like, team with a lot of grit. Like, the Nationals right now are, are a truly entertaining watch, which I really was not sure I would be saying. But an epic comeback uh, on, on Saturday, only to immediately blow it in the bottom of the ninth. And then another epic comeback on Sunday. Uh, Saturday, they they came back and blew it, and then Sunday, they come back and hold on. And yeah, Manasis, man, it was nice to see him back in, in Chase Field where he was dominating for Team Mexico. Uh, and yeah, it was it was, it was was cool. Nats are, Nats are kind of fun. If your team has the Nats coming up on the schedule, you want to tune in for that because you'll probably win. Like your favorite team will probably beat the Nats, but they're a great character foil right now for teams who are actually going to win some ball games. Braves taking two out of three over the Orioles. One of the best series losses, I think, in the history of the Baltimore franchise. They win game one, grand slam, 
off of the Braves to like win in a blowout on Friday, knocking Max Fried around. Incredible stuff. And then two one-run losses, one uh, in which Kevin Pillar had a go-ahead two-run homer on Saturday, and then they lost in extra innings on Sunday. Very interesting debate right now on Orioles Twitter. Should the Orioles and their fans be happy that they went into Atlanta and played the Braves close and got to Spencer Strider and, you know, almost won, almost swept, right? Like they were decently close to sweeping the Braves in Atlanta. Or should it be like, we're a good baseball team. We should not be content with winning one out of three. My favorite moment of this weekend was uh, the Kevin Pillar homer off of Danny Coulomb where it's like when the Orioles have all these random relievers, this has happened with the Mariners too over the last few years, where it's like all these no-names are just unbelievable. But then as soon as they allow a home run, you like, you're like, wait a minute, like it's Danny Coulomb. <laughs> like, like, like respectfully, it's like, why am I then shocked when Danny Coulomb allows a home run? Not Kevin Pillar, you know, probably shouldn't be allowing home runs to Kevin Pillar, but still, well, uh, it's, it's, it's moments like that. That's the thing. There was a lot of consternation about bringing in Coulomb as a lefty, and then they <laughs> respond with a right-handed hitter. Like, you should not be allowing two-run home runs to Kevin Pillar. Yeah, late in games. If you're a good that's, team, if you're a good team, that shouldn't be happening anyway. No matter who's on the mound. So, uh, yeah, no that that was just a funny moment. That's just the nature of having a no-name bullpen that's really good. Very encouraging series loss, though. Tigers over the Cardinals. We talked enough about that. The Tigers might be okay. They might be fine. Dude, how about Javi Baez? Not just like actually starting to hit. He, as some people have pointed out, he actually has just stopped striking out that much. He's just like a normal, I think he has a below average strikeout rate at this point, which is crazy. He's still swinging a lot. He's still chasing a lot, but he is putting more balls in play. That OPS plus is up to 99, which is something when your defense is presumably still good. I'm still looking at the numbers on this Tigers team and don't understand how they're winning any games, but good for them. Good for them. I mean, obviously Erod, Erod's, you know, he's going to be an all-star, but besides that, I still don't really know what I'm that excited about. I mean, honestly, dude, like, you know, it's not like Torque and Green are tearing it up. Like, I know they're finding ways to win games, but I'm still not that encouraged. Red Sox, two out of three over the Phillies in Philadelphia. I was at that first game. Red Sox are a weird team, man. That is a weird clubhouse, but they're winning ball games. Chaim Bloom was there walking around on that eight, that W8, like he larger than life. Shouts out to Chaim Bloom, who endured more hate, consternation, and doubt than any GM in the game this winter. And he's like walking around like that stupid Tyler McGregor, like wiggling his shoulders thing. I'm happy for Chaim. Um, the one thing on the Red Sox is Masataki Yoshida is up to, I believe, a 16-game hitting streak. And I just had this thought when I saw the Red Sox. They're like, oh, 16-game hitting streak. I'm like, what if Yoshida just comes over here and just has a 57-game hitting streak? <laughs> like, what? How, how would we react to that as a, as, a, as a baseball culture if this dude that's just been hanging out and if he just comes over and is just like, hey, oh. Hey, guys, remember when you thought I sucked for the first two weeks? Here's 57 games uh, in a row with the hit. We'll, we'll there would be some happens. there would be some xenophobic Yankees fans from 100%. New Jersey saying things about how yeah. great Joe DiMaggio was and how I that was the legitimate hit streak. I, I don't know what the longest hit streak of Ichiro's career was. I'm actually kind of curious about that. Hmm. Um, now, I'm sure I'm sure, you know. Uh, Yoshida will, you know, go hitless tonight or whatever. But he's he's been amazing. He looked great again this weekend. He's he what a what a fun player. I'll say this, being around Yoshida on Friday, getting a sense for his physicality, 
There is no comparison in baseball for the way this man is built. Eh, there's one, actually. And it's Spencer Strider is the closest body comp to Yoshida. If we're yeah, talking I, that regular, actually, I see that, up, yeah. Right? Like regular sized athletic upper half, but not yoked mm-hmm. and tree trunk legs, it's Spencer Strider. Like Yoshida's built like a fullback or a cycling sprinter or a pitcher and not as a corner outfielder. It's very unique, but the power is legit. Like his BP was very impressive. White Sox take two out of three from the Reds in Cincinnati. White Sox? Yeah. I mean, I I was there on Friday. Uh, Another team certainly in in kind of a weird space right now. You know, nice to see some of their, their hitters like Luis Robert finally looking pretty good there. Nice to see them just put up some runs in a ballpark that they should certainly be putting up some runs. So again, they're, they are, are they a good team? No. Are they only seven back of the twins? Yeah, they are. Uh, and that's, <laughs> that is honestly at this stage, not just not that crazy, right? The Yankees are 10 back. Um, so it's, it's not the Mets, the Mets are seven back, you know? So I, I am not, am I, would I bet on them to make the postseason? No, I wouldn't. But like, would it be the craziest thing I've ever seen? It, it it really would not. And let's finish up Dodgers over Padres. This was the Sunday night baseball game. Mm-hmm. That was a tough, tough loss for San Diego. That's yeah. a game you got to win. Down to the final out, Mookie Betts game tying Homer in the ninth. And then in the top of the 10th, friend of the show, Brett Honeywell, two outs and can't put away Michael Bush, who brings in the go-ahead run before James Outman. Rips a two-run bomb into the seats and right, and the Padres fall to the Dodgers. Let's discuss the Kershaw meme. So Mm. Kershaw loses right on Friday night to the Padres, and the Padres video board shows very, very, very briefly a picture, an edited picture of Kershaw pretending to cry. How do you feel about this type of trolling? Um. So this is like the first instinct is like, I'm sure if you're at the ballpark and you just beat the the Dodgers in your, your first game of the sea of the series. And of course this rivalry has become so important to Padres fans truly. Right. Understandably. And you're, you're feeling yourself. You gotta be feeling good. You know, you beat Kershaw Tatis. It's two homers against Kershaw. He's, he's, you know, loving life and, and everyone's feeling good. So I'm sure the moment is like, Oh, that's funny. Right. But this brings up something that we've talked about on other podcasts about who is doing the trolling and what that signifies and kind of what that introduces to the to the rivalry and to the kind of discourse around two baseball teams. Because did Bob Melvin say, "Hey, when we win tonight, can you put up uh, Crying Kershaw? Make sure that make sure they put up Crying Kershaw on the on the board, right?" Like, no, it's the Padres graphics team, which like. God bless them. Their their job is to entertain the crowd, which I think they clearly were doing by doing that, right? At the same time, because of what this is and because every little thing between these two teams now is going to become a story, they are going to ask about it. They say, hey, Clayton, did you see this? And Clayton Kershaw gave a fantastic answer, which he was like, yeah, whatever. Don't like it. Pitch better. Clayton Kershaw, smart, reasonable guy. And then what do the Dodgers do the next few days? They win because that's what the Dodgers do. And so that's kind of my take. I was like, I don't think anyone did anything wrong, but you do have to remember where these things are coming from, right? Because to, to paint this as some sort of shit talking by the Padres players 
is ludicrous. That has nothing to do with it. And Tatis had quotes after the game about Kershaw where he was like, he's amazing. Anytime you can get to him, it's really great. So Padres video board versus Clayton Kershaw is not necessarily a storyline to watch. Anything else we want to talk about before we get out of here, Jordan? I want to mention the Liam Hendricks rehab start. Hendricks, who is uh, beat, uh, his cancer diagnosis, mm-hmm. went and did a rehab start and uh, in Triple A, I believe, yeah, Charlotte. in Charlotte. And before his inning, both dugouts came out and clapped for him and gave him a standing ovation. And he had a great quote after the game that was like, as someone who pitches with anger, this was very difficult for me because I knew there was a dugout full of nice guys over there. Um, really interesting. It's a great reminder that everyone is playing a character on the mound, that all pitchers are either really dumb, really mean, or really nice and pretending to be really dumb or really mean. And that because pitching is such a pressure field thing where you have to believe in yourself irrationally. Creating that type of persona is really helpful. No better example than Liam Hendricks, who is clearly one of the nicest guys in baseball, but when he's on the mound, is a total maniac. Yeah, no, that's exactly what I was going to say, which is that it's this would be funny in and of itself for any pitcher, you know, saying I'm trying to stay motivated, whatever. But, you know, completely long before he was diagnosed with cancer, which of course has, you know, made it the whole baseball world rally around him. I mean, everyone freaking loves Liam Hendricks. So when you see him screaming, that is just him deciding to do that so that he can throw 99 instead of 96. Because <laughs> sometimes it's that simple. Chris Sale, I want to talk about him briefly. He was incredible in that Friday night start that I was at against the Phillies, where he was throwing 99, fastest pitch he's thrown since 2018. And the experience of seeing him do that, so he like strikes a couple guys out, and you're like, I look pretty fast. I look pretty hard. Uh, I'm going to go over to Baseball Savant, see, oh, that was 99. What the fuck? And my takeaway from that was, all right, Chris Sale's healthy. Hell yeah. You know, like I was just like, great. Like, I don't know if he, is he back in the sense that he's the same pitcher that he was? No, I mean, the command is clearly still uh, not a strong suit. And we'll see if he can work his way back into more pinpoint command. But like, yeah, it, he's he's healthy. So at this point, we are no longer asking, well, he's still working his way back. Like in that sense, he is back. Is the actual pitcher of top tier Cy Young, you know, candidate quality back? I'm I'm not convinced yet. But the Red Sox, who despite their hot streak, have just a really lackluster starting rotation, they need Chris Sale to just like sure. be something, right? For and sure. he is definitely now something. Mm-hmm. Last thing to touch on before we go, rest in peace to Vida Blue who passed away over the weekend, one of the most unique players in baseball history, really. Yeah, and I was going to say, you know, we've had, we don't always, of course, there's, you know, deaths of of iconic baseball players, baseball people uh, in uh, happening frequently, and we don't always touch on them because honestly, like we only have so much to add. And in this case, it's not like I grew up watching Vita Blue, but Vita Blue is, is one of those players that when you learn about him for the first time and you and you read about him and you you watch video of what Vita Blue was like and that name, right? That name Vita Blue, you're, you're not going to forget that when you first read that in a baseball book. That is a player that even though, of course, I never saw him pitch live, that sticks with you. And his career was was so incredible. 
and uh, and, and the kind of the kind of career that is is hard to fathom in some senses now, right? Someone coming up that young, being that dominant that quickly. It's just it, there's so many parts of of his career that are difficult to fathom, and and that's that's what makes we us appreciate it so much. That 1971 season is absurd. 312 innings as a 21 year old, 24 and eight with a 182 ERA, eight shutouts, and 301 strikeouts in 312 innings, which at the time was a ludicrous number of strikeouts for a pitcher to have. He won the Cy Young and the MVP award. Very rare, very very hard to do. 21 year old believe- pitcher. 21 year old yes. pitcher, man. Like that. We have. We, this is what we still have not seen that much of right we've had we've had a couple extremely young pitchers that come up in this generation of course we've had Felix of course you know we had Jose Fernandez like we've had it's been a few but not nearly as many as on the position player side and just to think about that kind of dominance at that age is as a pitcher is, is unbelievable 1971 he and Doc Ellis it's the only example where two black starting pitchers started the all-star game against one another mm-hmm. that full all-star game is on YouTube. And I highly recommend, if you have some time to kill, to watch it. It's just like a really cool glimpse into an era of baseball history. Highly recommend. Mm-hmm. So rest in peace to Vita Blue. Yes. All right. We will end it here. Uh, we'll hit some other news uh, on Wednesday. We'll see if we have a guest or whatnot. But we appreciate you all listening. As always, thank you all for uh, supporting us. And you can email us at baseballbarbacast at gmail.com. That's B-A-R-B-Cast. Thank you to Chris Tyler for producing, as always. And if everyone could just work on their game calling and preparation as a catcher before Wednesday's show, that would be really great. Thanks. Thank you so much. Talk to you then. Make sure you're prepared. Or we'll DH you. Serious XM Podcasts.